Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin March. This week, we've got our co-founder and CEO, Brian Armstrong, on the podcast to share with us all of his thoughts about crypto. Specifically, well, there have been a lot of market movements lately, and we get into how to view those market movements, where crypto fits in with the equity markets trending down, and how to think long-term about how Coinbase is positioned, how crypto is positioned. We also get into the changing world order, potentially changing world order, and where crypto might fit in with all of that. It's an exciting conversation, so let's jump in. Well, uh, how you doing? Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm having a good week. We're shipping lots of good stuff, and I think it's, this is a cool format. I'm enjoying the chance to just chat with you and catch up a bit. Yeah, I think every uh, few months or so, we should just connect and talk about what's happening in the industry and your perspective on things. Um, I'm a big fan, by the way, of just us being more transparent with how we're viewing what's happening in crypto and pulling the curtains back a little bit and sharing with the world what we're doing and where we're going. Obviously, there's been you know quite a significant correction in the markets, both equities markets as well as crypto. Um, we're entering kind of a, possibly a new paradigm. We don't know what's coming next, but might be heading towards a more depressed market for a while. We've been through market downturns before. I mean, Coinbase turned 10 recently, <laughs> amazing accomplishment, by the way. Um, but that means we've been through multiple crypto downturns, downturn cycles. And I wanted to get your perspective on where we are today and uh, how, you know, how, how you feel we're positioned for the next potential downturn. Yeah, um, let's see. So we have been through so many different crypto cycles at this point. Um, a lot of people are new to crypto. They're new to Coinbase, so they probably haven't seen these before. But for folks that have been around a little while, they've seen a few and they all follow a similar pattern. The thing is, I actually feel like we're better situated through this cycle than we've ever been in the past, um, both because of the strength of the balance sheet, um, the number of products that are actually working now in crypto. It's not just a speculative asset class anymore. You know, that was in the early crypto cycles, it was largely speculation driving it, but now there's more and more use cases that people have like DeFi and NFTs and DAOs and, you know, social and identity and like all these things are, are starting to be used more and more. So my guess is that the cycles will get a little less um, dramatic over time from like the percentage drop from peak to trough has been 85% like in the previous cycles. I think we're at like maybe 55% or something dropped now from the peak this one, but I'm guessing it may be a little bit more moderated than previous ones. That's just a guess. What, why, um, what would make it more moderated? I mean, I have some ideas here too, but like why, why would it get kind of less dramatic? Yeah. Well, two theories on this. So one, one is that, um, so there are more use cases now than just speculative trading, right? Like, and things like, you know, NFTs are still being used. And um, so the, anyway, the use cases are there. The other reason is that in prior crypto cycles, at the end of the cycle, the up cycle, we saw prices like kind of go vertical for a little bit and then they, and then they crashed down. And th that didn't really happen in this cycle. I think probably because the broader macro environment went down, like the broader economy went down and, and I guess people were treating crypto like like a tech growth stock or something. And so it got sold off similarly. Whereas, I frankly, I thought they were going to be treating crypto as more like an inflation hedge a little bit. But I guess we're not at the scale yet where that's quite true. So maybe we need to do another 5, 10x from here. But um, anyway, we didn't see that price go vertical right at the end. So it may be less than an 85% drop peak to trough. But look, this is all a guess. I'm None of this is an investment advice. And I who knows? I could be completely wrong. Um, but... That's just one thought I've had. There's another take on this too, and it's you know, uh, crypto has um, some subset of people who hold crypto are fervent, ardent believers. 
they understand the technology, they know kind of they have a, a strong conviction on the potential for this market. And when they purchase crypto, they generally it's kind of a forever purchase. They're just gonna you, you know buy it and hold it. And they'll eventually use it, but they'll use it when you know Bitcoin is basically used as a currency, right? They're not going to ever kind of cash back out to fiat. I'm describing the most extreme sort of holder here, right? But the the viewpoint says, you know, that segment of people is growing just on an absolute numbers basis over time. And when people panic in market corrections and sell, well, generally speaking, the flow of money goes from people who are panicky to people who are long-term convicted buyers and holders. And so that's one take on why you know these every market cycle isn't going to have such a huge correction peak to trough because that segment is growing. Um, and that provides kind of a backstop to how far it could drop. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, there's more, <laughs> there's more holders today than there were like three years ago. And there's going to be more holders three years from now, probably right than there are today. So it's hard. It's hard to imagine we're sitting here in 10 years and there's fewer people using cryptocurrency. It's just like, I, I don't, nobody really knows what's going to happen in the next year or quarter or whatever. But like the long-term trend, I think is pretty clear. I would love to see, by the way, some data from Coinbase on this because we can see who's a buyer and a holder and we can kind of release some macro numbers around how that percentages are changing and shed some light on kind of consumer behavior here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, okay, so, you know, we might be potentially hitting another market cycle. Again, none of this is investment advice. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but do you have any lessons that we've learned from past market cycles? Do you prefer a bear cycle or a bull cycle just personally to be, you know, building in Coinbase? Like, what are the lessons we've learned? Well, I think people sort of assume like an up cycle is good and a down cycle is bad or, um, or a downward, you know, moment. But it's not really true in my case. Um, the up cycles, look, they're nice in the sense that they bring a lot of new people into crypto. Um, it, it creates a lot of buzz, a lot of marketing out there. Um, the downside is you're just basically constantly focused on scaling and just, it's like all hands on deck just to keep everything running because there's so many new people coming in. Like we've seen traffic and the company and the industry grow like, you know, three to five X in a year, which is, which is quite strenuous compared to most, um, most, how most things grow, but then in down cycles, okay. People sometimes have like doom and gloom. They over rotate on like the downside, they get distracted, whatever. But the, the benefit of it is that for companies who don't do those things, like, like Coinbase and past cycles, we tend to get more time to focus on doing innovative stuff, building the future of products. Um, you know, we actually tend to pull ahead because like sometimes competitors pivot and they go do other things. Um, and we try to just stay focused. And, it, and it's a good moment to like run a, like a leaner, healthier company as well, in a sense. Like, you know, every company accumulates unnecessary things that... Um, either you're paying way too much for some vendor you don't need, or like you have way too many headcounts on one project and you kind of reallocate that. So yeah, those are all examples of things that are beneficial in down cycles. I think <laughs> like the most high growth tech companies, they just grow like 50 to 100% a year. And that's probably like a little bit of an easier or maybe even 20% a year or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's an easier thing to plan for. And crypto, it's basically like, well, are we either gonna 3X this year or negative 20%? And it's, you know, it's like, it's a much harder thing to plan for, but you know, whatever, we'll, I'll take it. I, I kind of have this view too, that, you know, it's really important for crypto companies to have people inside those organizations that have been through some of these cycles because they can provide the sort of measured advice and perspective on what a down cycle really looks like, how it feels and give the rest of the company sort of a calming effect. Um, maybe to give an example here, you know, the last down cycle between 2017 and 2020-ish, you know, crypto went through this, this pretty big lull another sort of crypto winter. Man, my, I remember this because Bitcoin was kind of trading around $6,000 and it was trading there for probably about a month or maybe even two months straight. 
like didn't really vary, didn't really move. We're like, oh, Bitcoin's like a stable coin now. Ha ha ha, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but then one day over the course of, I think it's maybe one or two days, but very short time frame, it crashes down to under, under 4,000. And after a year and a half of a, of a bear market, you know, we thought we'd found a bottom at $6,000 and then wham, bottom gets taken out from us. We go straight down. I remember that moment and I was like, am I wrong? Like, is this thing going to zero? Like my faith was, was like questioned a little bit. And mm -hmm. I've always believed in the technology. I always believe this is going to be something disruptive and innovative. And I quickly was like, no, 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 like this really is disruptive. It's okay. It's just the market's being irrational. But I remember in that moment, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And I was kind of scared and confused. And my takeaway is, you know, as exuberant and exciting as the up, up markets are and the, and the moments of euphoria, how, how emotionally exciting that is, it's almost in reverse in a bear market. It can be as gut-wrenching and as testing as the euphoria in a high market. So we need to kind of prepare ourselves for markets to be irrationally high and irrationally low and recognize that we are like humans who also have psychological responses and we yeah. can also feel the depth of that emotion. It's true. Like when everybody is fearful, that's kind of like the worst time to sell usually. And, and when everybody is exuberant, it's kind of like the worst time to buy. Um, you know, I think all of us have been had that experience where we bought some crypto in, in an exuberant moment or something like that. I, I don't really like this word faith because um, it implies like, well, it's, a, it's about blind faith or something. And look, nobody, nobody can predict the future, right? Not certainly not us, not anybody. Um, I think of it as like, crypto is not just one thing now. It's, it's a much broader idea. It's kind of a whole area of research in computer science and cryptography. And whether any particular crypto will work or there'll be some flaw or like whatever some country does or something like, none of us can fully predict that. But the general idea, it's hard for me to imagine, like you can't really uninvent something once an idea has been released into the world. And if there is an issue, it's just people are gonna iterate on it, right? Um, pick, pick your worst black swan scenario at this point, like somebody can iterate on it at this point and fork a chain or put out a different chain or upgrade a cryptographic algorithm or like, do, you know, it'll get a, a foothold in a new, a new geographic region or whatever. So I'm, that part, I have a hard time seeing like massive failure modes at this point, but any individual coin or geography or whatever could have setbacks. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, you know, my, my mom often asks me what's going on with crypto when prices drop or news, news headlines hit. And, you know, it, it's just indicative of one, one of my um, pieces of advice to people who are relatively new to crypto is get your own conviction on the strength of the technology. Conviction is not faith. It's just a, it's, it's, it's recognizing that there is real innovation happening in crypto. Um, and if you look at the technology and look at kind of what we're accomplishing here and the new tools and things we're doing, um, there's a lot of innovation. The key fundamental thing for me is I believe innovative things turn out to be disruptive. Mm -hmm. Over some time scale, I don't really know the time scale, but they end up being disruptive. And crypto is very, very innovative in a number of dimensions. And it's hard for me to sit here with a straight face and say, yeah, it's innovative, but it will never be disruptive. No. In fact, you can see a lot of the disruption happening. So I agree with you. I don't know what's going to happen with a specific coin or a specific project. But the industry as a whole, this is very innovative stuff. And just believing in the tech becoming disruptive means that I can tune out all the market noise. And yeah. that's, that's been very calming for me, at least. <laughs> Helped me get through a lot of these bear markets. Totally. I honestly try not to look at the market that much. And um, it's hard, just like anything. It's kind of an addictive thing, but like it doesn't mean it's healthy. So like <laughs> I, I basically just, honestly, our strategy doesn't really change that much. Um, regardless of what the market is doing. It's basically, we're just trying to build great products and services for customers. And we keep doing that. A lot of the rest will work out fine. Later on, actually, I wanted to ask you about what you're, uh, what, what you're excited about in crypto, but why don't we just ask it now? <laughs> Let's <laughs> talk about some of the things we're excited about, some of the tech innovations that are coming that, that you know, get, us, get us all riled up. 
Yeah, I mean, so there's a few things. Um, you and I were talking about this earlier today a little bit, but I, I like this idea of the wallet evolving um, to include other things like your identity. And if you have an identity, like let's say with ENS or one of the other standards, why not have a profile associated with your identity, like a public profile page? And it could be built entirely on on-chain data, um, but and there's various interfaces through which you could view your profile, but you could have a variety of things connected in there, like um, you know, your like a reputation score uh, that could be used to get loans, almost like a FICO, or access to certain things, um, or to know that you're paying a verified merchant or the right Justin Mart or whatever. And then you could have co-ops in there, right? Like places you've been, like NFTs that you own. Um, I think once you have a profile page and an identity, you might as well have like a follower graph and a social feed and a, like a social network built on top of this. And there's some really interesting protocols out there um, in this regard as well. And then like creative people should be posting stuff. They're not just like um, status updates, but you know, their their actual work itself, like music and videos or animation, like whatever that they're into. And, you know, directly monetize it, all the, all the things that we've talked about, right, with NFTs and all that stuff. So I do think the wallet analogy is gonna expand. And actually, if you think about your physical world wallet, it also has your ID in there usually, <laughs> you know? And um, it doesn't just have money. It, and like, it might have like cool photographs that you are important to you or like whatever. So um, your, your library card, like some concert tickets that you went to, right? And so I do think the wallet is kind of an apt analogy. And um, anyway, I'm really excited about that. And hopefully we can build a lot of that stuff into Coinbase Wallet, our, our self-custodial app. Yeah, is wallet even the right word here? I mean, it's it's more than just like a wallet that holds your identity. It actually becomes your your past behavior. It, it's like, your yeah, your credit score. It's, it's so much more than just pieces of pa on a paper, right? Like it's mm -hmm. it's something more expansive. Yeah. It's also your identity, your wallet. I mean, a lot of people have been asking me that too. They're like, is wallet the right word? And then I'm always like, I don't know, what's a, what's a better one? I haven't found one better that I like yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm open to it. Maybe there is one. Yeah, yeah. The, the underlying uh, thing here though is, you know, we're excited about the, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up in a high level word here, the, the coming application era of crypto. Mm -hmm. But really what we're pointing out when we say applications is, look, it's gonna turn more social. Like you're going to have your your um, past behavior, your identity, so many elements that are core to who you are as a person represented on chain and people being able to build applications that tap into that in powerful ways. Mm -hmm. Not just tapping into powerful ways, but also recognizing who you are and what you like. You're right. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you should have on your profile if you so choose. That's part of why we keep saying like Web3 is, crypto is really the next internet. It's, it's, the, it's the next iteration of the internet. And a lot of this stuff's getting rebuilt. It's, it's fascinating to me just as an aside, by the way, that like, Google is not indexing this whole piece of the web right now. Like they're not indexing um, decentralized identities and like um, NFTs and smart contracts and like new assets that are getting created and badges and credentialing. And so it's almost like a dark corner of the web. And I, I think there's like a lot of interesting opportunity in that too. Yeah, speaking of opportunity, um, how's Coinbase positioned to, to take advantage of these coming shifts, these coming applications? Well, look, I mean, we're a company that's not just one product anymore. We're, we have a portfolio of products. Um, there's about a dozen of them now. You can go to coinbase.com slash products. We're actually trying to make it easier and easier for people to like switch between our products. Because many people, when they're signed in, they don't actually know how many products we're offering. Um, Coinbase Commerce and a self-custodial wallet. And so, you know, I, I think we are basically becoming a company that um, it's based around repeatable innovation. We have a we have a 70-20-10 resource allocation where 
70% of our resources go towards the core thing that makes most of our revenue today, um, which is largely trading based. 20% are on these adjacent bets and 10% are these venture bets. And so we're collecting um, a portfolio of different products. We wanna try have people inside the company try like really ambitious moonshot stuff. It's okay if it has a higher chance of failure. Um, and then ideally like these products are nicely integrated in various ways so that, you know, if you buy your crypto one place, maybe it's just one more click to vote in a DAO or to buy an NFT or, you don't necessarily need to be um, moving your stuff to so many different places. I, my hope is that Coinbase um, adheres to the true principles of decentralization, Web3. So it's like, hey, if you don't like us, you can move your stuff to any other platform. None of it is like a lock-in. It's all based on open standards and stuff. But um, but ideally, it's just easy to do it in Coinbase. And it's kind of like a super app over time. It has more and more functionality, both first-party functionality and third-party apps. Um, we also recently released the DAP wallet. Um, mm -hmm. which is a new retail product. I'm particularly excited about this one, but I wanted to get your color on it as well. Um, can you explain what that is and kind of why it's exciting and interesting? Yeah, for sure. So um, inside the main Coinbase retail app, um, we all and, and Coinbase wallet, our self-custodial app, we wanted to make it easy for people to access third-party applications. And so um, basically we have like a DAP marketplace in there. It's, it's a browser where you could load up any kind of third-party app, whether it's you know a decentralized exchange, like an NFT marketplace, games, like, all these new things that are coming up, there's like literally thousands of these dApps out there. And so what's cool about it is that um, when you go in there, you can not only see ratings and reviews of different apps in different categories, um, but it, if you open one of them, you know, your wallet is already connected. All your funds are ready to spend if you need to do that. Um, your identity is connected into it as well, like increasingly with, with ENS. So it's basically getting rid of a lot of the friction um, to try one of these apps. Like you don't necessarily need to install a Chrome extension, move your funds over, like wait for it to confirm, you know, switch to Polygon network or whatever. Like we're trying to just make all this stuff seamless. So for the average user, and that's, I think that's how we're going to get to like a billion people using crypto. Yeah. And the innovation behind the scene are really powerful too. Um, what we're really also kind of enabling is users don't have to download a native crypto web three wallet and manage mm -hmm. their own security, which is the one fundamental trade-off to self-hosted or user-controlled wallets is, well, you are given 12 words. You're given a private key. And then that responsibility to safeguard that private key, not have it get stolen and you know not fall myriad to a number of scams or what have you, it's your responsibility, which is good and bad, right? It's your responsibility, it's your money. But on the other hand, it's scary and daunting for a lot of people. They don't necessarily know yeah. how to do that properly. And so we're actually kind of enabling access and we're giving them a wallet that can access all these things. But we're also bringing with it the security of a trusted name, a trusted brand, to manage that security for them, which I think is just a huge innovation. Now, of course, there's there's hardware wallets and we support those like Ledger inside Coinbase Wallet. But I think what what you're referring to, which I'm so glad you brought up in the in the Coinbase retail app, is we did launch this DAP wallet and we had to build a lot of really cool tech behind the scenes to make this work. We've developed something really cool and innovative where now we can basically have every retail app customer, they don't need to figure out how to store a 12 word sprays securely, but they can use these DAP wallets. Um, and interface with all the new applications that are out there. So it just, TLDR is that it made it a lot simpler and easier to use for a whole segment of the population. And I'm hoping that's gonna be a big driver of growth. Well, I actually wanna shift gears a little bit here. I mean, we've talked a little about you know market downturns and how to deal with negative news cycles. And then we talked about why we're still excited about crypto and all this stuff. There's another topic that uh, I think is really fascinating one. It gets back at like the importance of crypto in the world and how to increase economic freedom. 
Um, and it also ties into a sort of a, a idea that Ray Dalio has perpetuated a little bit lately and this idea of a changing world order. Mm. In other words, the United States has kind of been the dominant world force. USD is the world's reserve currency. And so we have benefited tremendously from that. But these things don't last forever. There have been a number of, you know, dominant countries and, and you know, uh, over time, you know, and they've all kind of fallen by the wayside through some measure of a cycle, right? So Ray Dalio is basically saying, look, this might be changing again. And again, who knows what's going to happen, but it might be another changing of the world order. So you've mm -hmm. got some thoughts on this. I want to just kind of leave it unprompted a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, can you share your thoughts on this? And then maybe, you know, crypto's place within a potentially shifting world order? Yeah, such a good question. I've been tweeting about this a little bit. And look, I really enjoyed watching um, Ray Dalio's video on the changing world order. And, and there's a whole book behind it, which I also read. And honestly, it's probably the best book I've read in the last year. My understanding is he had a huge team of researchers behind this book, by the way, which is something I've been noticing is like the best books t tend to have teams behind them. They're not like some individual person who's, who's writing it, at least in nonfiction, maybe. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think he's, he's basically uh, signaling something very important here, which is that it's an uncomfortable truth, which is that the U.S. is in decline. And maybe it has been since roughly, you know, 1970 or so when we came off the gold standard. And that's an uncomfortable thing if you, you know, Coinbase is founded in the United States. Like we're very, I'm an American citizen. Um, I love America. It's been the best place to build a company for me. I, um, I have a lot of values that are shared with like the U.S. broadly. I also consider myself like a citizen of the world and a student of, you know, the world history. And for me, um, I think I find the arguments in the book to be quite compelling. And there's a people always have to distinguish, I think, between what you want to be true and what is actually true. Those are very different things, and people cloud they cloud their thinking on that. Um, so even though I don't want it to be true, I do think the U.S. is probably in decline. Um, China is on the rise, which you know is not a, necessarily a bad thing. Again, I'm a citizen of the world. Um, I think innovations from every country are good for team human, if you think more broadly, right? So anyway, long story short, I'm not confident of any of this. I just think it's I think he, I'm finding his arguments to be more compelling than others. Um, let's see, but get, get kind of getting back to your original question of like, how does crypto play a role in this? I mean, and by the way, I think this is one area where Dalio does not talk about it in his book. Um, I've had a chance to speak with him once or twice and I find him to be very engaging. I'm, ho I'm hoping we have more conversations on this, but, um, one alternative to, you know, the U S decline and China's rise is it's cause that's to me is a very still, still a very country centric view of the world. It's one country has to be the new world order. But I think things may be a little different this time, which is that we have a new global gold standard that's been introduced with Bitcoin. And, um, you know, look, there's only 200 million people in the world or so who have tried crypto at this point. That's a lot, but it's not, um, it's nowhere near maybe the influence of the dollar or something like that. So I think most people in the world would consider this to be a crazy thing to say or a contrarian view or, or whatever. But I think there is some chance that the that Bitcoin becomes the new global reserve currency, right? The, the new gold standard. And what Dahlia makes this point very in a very compelling way in his book, which is that every um, fiat currency historically starts off connected to some kind of hard commodity, like like gold or something. But every single one of these fiat currencies in history, I think there's been thousands of them, they eventually you know break the peg with the the hard commodity underneath, and then they eventually inflate it away and then there becomes a new world order and it seems to be this unchangeable law or something like that because basically the political consequences of having 
austerity uh, are too high. Nobody wants to do it. And so the, the expedient thing to do is always basically to print. And so, look, I think there could be scenarios where this doesn't happen. Um, maybe the US gets like a really a new compelling leader in office, um, some kind of turnaround with like science and technology and education that actually leads to a new wave of innovation. But frankly, it doesn't seem to be super competent in a variety of areas, as, right? And so, I, look, I hate to criticize without providing solutions. So um, I, I don't mean that as like a negative attack on any particular person or group or whatever. I always want to be part of the solution. I, but my, my overall thesis, I think, is that um, crypto re represents a really compelling alternative for the West and Western values to basically embrace decentralization as the new world order, um, because otherwise, the, the Chinese yuan may become the new reserve currency of the world. And if I, I think China's doing many good things, but they're also not aligned with our values. When I say our, I mean like you know, US Western liberal values. Um, and so it may be actually beneficial to have a decentralized West to compete with a centralized East. And that could be the new world order. It, you could call it a US world order, but it's really gonna be more of a, a crypto um, as a transnational reserve currency order. Mm. The question I have here, you know, and, and this is really, really hard to answer, but like, how does Bitcoin gain that level of adoption across the world? What's the path to becoming so large that it is considered the reserve currency of the world? And are we anywhere close to that today? Yeah. So I think, look, I thought we were closer than we were, to be honest. Um, in this last cycle, in the last run up of crypto, we heard a lot of people, institutions, whatnot, were adopting crypto, putting it on their balance sheet. And they were telling us, we think inflation's coming and this is kind of an inflation hedge. And and I basically was of the opinion that um, if there is a broader economic downturn, that people may move um, to crypto even more um, because, you know, the inflation in, in the U.S. dollar, for instance, is starting to get quite scary and probably even worse with other fiat currencies. Um, I was I was so I was wrong. I was a little bit surprised, actually, to see crypto correct down. And I guess it was still being treated more like a growth tech stock than than a inflation hedge. Um, so then the question is, how big does it need to get to actually start to fill that role? We're at about 200 million people globally who've tried crypto. Um, you know, mo a lot of institutions like are starting to hold crypto assets, but I don't think it's, um, I think we have some, if I'm just, I'm guessing now it's probably something like maybe a five or 10 X and we've, we're going to start to see it as more playing that role. Like if you got to a billion people in the world who had used crypto, that starts to feel like it's now material and people may actually start to flee towards it in times of uncertainty, as opposed to just treating it as another source of uncertainty. We may need to see um, more of the fiat money in the world start to be held there. We might need to see start central banks start to hold crypto assets. Um, I think a lot of this comes back to clarity around regulation too, because that's where we're going to see more and more institutional money and, and like kind of, yeah, government money flow into it. That's a great point. Yeah, I think the regulations can't be overstated here. That is a key consideration. We need clarity in that front. This is a lot to kind of digest and take in. Um, what, what's funny is for my, my seat over here, you know, yeah, okay, the markets have corrected a little bit. We're facing some turbulence. When I look at the sentiment of people building in crypto, it's still really exciting. And we can talk about these things, changing world orders, you know, the potential for crypto to become your identity and part of your digital life in a really meaningful way. Um, and so absent macroeconomic figures, like the, these conversations leave me more excited. And yeah. that's the fundamental stuff we should be paying attention to. The markets might be experiencing a downtrend, but I think, you know, you and I seeing the perspective of what's happening in crypto and the building that's occurring. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm basically just almost just as excited as ever. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, <laughs> I honestly think a lot of what's happening um, 
of course, you have to look at the macro stuff to sort of, you know, make sure employee compensation is good and um, that you can get M&A deals done and stuff like that. But for most of the things, it doesn't really matter. It's actually like our strategy doesn't change at all. We're still just building good stuff. And there's no shortage. There's there's never been more important things to go build in crypto. Right? I feel like we're kind of like surrounded by um, billion dollar opportunities. I mean, we, we talked about some of them with like profiles and social and decentralized identity. And um, there's a bunch of geographies where people still don't have access to like even basic trading rails, right? And there's a whole world of um, derivatives and um, new protocols that need to get created. Like, you know, we should probably have a reputation protocol associated with decentralized identities. And look, at, just look at the amount of venture dollars and the amount of interesting, smart people like building companies in this space. I can't even keep up with it all at this point. And so I, I don't think there's a more clear indication of the future than that. Yeah, yeah. And I just going to mention too, you know, if, if uh, any of our listeners are founders building these cool things, reach out to us. Coinbase Ventures is an active um, participant in this ecosystem. And also, hey, come, come to help build it at Coinbase. So there you go. Yeah. Got to get the plug in. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, thanks for coming on. This has been great. I'm looking forward to future editions as well, just to periodically get your thoughts on all things happening. Yeah, great questions. Um, and I'd love people's feedback in the comments or replies, and uh, we'll keep doing more of them. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Well, there you have it. As you heard from Brian himself, we are listening at your comments. We're watching and listening, so be sure to leave us a comment. Ask us a question. Let us know what you think. How's Coinbase doing? How's crypto doing? And all of your thoughts at YouTube or elsewhere on Twitter. Let us know. And as always, be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch us on the web, coinbase.com slash around the block. We always have the past episodes and long form research and a lot more. Until next week, see you then. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. <laughs>